Well, hello, everyone. It's me, Mike Polanski, and I am very excited to bring you this conversation with my good friend, Dr. Laurel McNall of the State University of New York at Brockport in the psychology department. And in her presentation and talk, it was a discussion with some of the Me First Academy members, Laurel is discussing the latest research on work-life balance, especially as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic, when we had the massive shift from the workplace to, I want to say working at home, but it's really more about trying to work at home. And now as we've sort of gone through that and normed into whatever the future will bring, what are some of the challenges that come with this transition? Laurel presents some of her own original research and recaps some of the other research. But most importantly, she brings to us some very practical insights about how leaders ought to handle uh, work-life balance or address work-life, excuse me, address work-life balance as we uh, shift to the new normal, whatever that will be. So here she is, Dr. Laurel McDowell. All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our special Friday edition of uh, Me First Academy Live. And today we have my good friend, Dr. Laurel McNall, who's uh, joining us from way over on the west side of Rochester. Yeah, yeah. Over. <laughs> yeah exactly. Nearly, nearly at the edge of the earth. So um, <laughs> right. we'll pray for her safety. But Laurel, thanks so much for joining us. Um, really, uh, really excited to uh, to learn from you and to, to have a nice little discussion. Um, so in a uh, um, kind of a uh, rude host way, I won't let you introduce yourself because you're going to do it so much better. Plus, it's it's more pleasant to, to listen to you than it is to me. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to. Um, so I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I am an associate professor in the psychology department at SUNY Brockport. Um, and it's hard to believe I've been there for 16 years. Um, and I teach classes on motivation and social psychology, organizational psychology, professional development, that kind of stuff. And prior to um, coming to Brockport, I worked as a consultant at the Group for Organizational Effectiveness, um, where we did a lot of work on building organizations' internal consulting capabilities, um, where we would try to take one of my main roles was trying to take the research and translate it into how it could be helpful for practitioners. And um, I have my PhD from SUNY Albany. So I just, in, in my undergrad degrees from uh, Canisius and Buffalo. So I just went West a little bit and then I went East a little bit and now I came back home. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. I'm so glad to, to have you here today. So what do you have in store for us? Well, I was just thinking, Mike, I think we met on Park Avenue. That's right. Many moons ago when I had just moved back to the area. And I think I can't even remember how we connected, but it's, it's, it's been, and then you left and then you came back and yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. I was trying to look for a job in order to be able to stay at that time. Yeah. And uh, I had, I'd reached out and we, uh, yeah, we had coffee there on Park Ave. Yeah. Park Ave like, was our place. Like 15 We We ago. meet in the middle, right? That's right. That was in the middle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So um, today I was going to talk a little bit about my research on work-life balance, which is something that is on everyone's mind, I think. And um, 
kind of incorporate some, you know, where do we go from here in the post-pandemic world of work, um, particularly the given that remote work is here to stay. So we know that there's challenges with work-life balance and working from home. So um, wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what is work-life balance? Um, what are common initiatives that organizations do and how those sometimes don't go the way that we expect? And then what could we do as individuals and a team at the organizational level to kind of think about um, balance in a new way. Awesome. Looking yeah. So, shall I share? Please do. All right. All right. Is that looking good on your end? Yep. Um, yep. See the presenter view, and now we see like the the audience view. So. All right. Very good. So, um, yes. So I think we've done this sort of, and I think, um, I've kind of mentioned, um, kind of the, the areas that I'll touch on today. And I, I wish this could be a little more interactive. I haven't found a great way to, to do that exactly, but I'd be very happy to uh, take questions and comments, um, as we move along here. So, um, there's a lot of talk in the popular press about work-life balance, um, Anne Marie Slaughter was one that said that sort of declared that work-life balance is not possible, right? We cannot have it all. It's often framed as a woman's issue, though we know from surveys that men and single employees report that they want it. Um, so even pre-pandemic, we knew that this was not going well. So the majority of Americans reporting this is a problem, many reporting a significant problem. Um, in this same SHRM survey, a lot of people saying that their time with family is suffering, um, followed by personal time. And in this SHRM um, study, 57% are saying that they don't think that their employer really does enough to address um, work-life balance. And the Pew Research um, finding that many uh, working parents with kids at home are saying it's really hard to, to manage both their job and their families, and both uh, fathers and mothers reporting this. So no significant gap between what mothers and fathers are reporting. So when we put it all together, we kind of see that all of us are trying to, we want to achieve this elusive thing that we're calling balance and, and really struggling with it. And then we add the pandemic on top of that, and it becomes increasingly difficult. So while there's been a lot of talk about work-life balance in the popular press, um, research has kind of taken a different approach to studying this issue, kind of looking at the negative aspects and the positive aspects. So conflict is when there's this incompatibility going on. So because I work too much, um, that that time that I have to spend at work um, you know, wreaks havoc in my, in my family life because there just aren't enough hours. Um, I've actually studied, my research program has been about the positive side of managing multiple roles. Um, so I sort of look at things like, you know, if I develop a lot of skills and perspectives being a parent, how that helps me as an employee. So I take a, a little bit different approach. So researchers have pretty extensively studied, like, what are the factors that contribute to conflict and enrichment? And what are the outcomes? And there are things that you would expect, right? So we know that people that have higher conflict are going to have um, lower levels of job satisfaction and more burnout. Um, and when you perceive higher levels of enrichment, it's related to more positive outcomes. But surprisingly, there's less research on balance that's changing. But I think part of it is because what do we mean when we say balance? And so when you just say it, it sort of conjures up this idea of a scale 
right? And on the one side, you have work. And on the other side, you have family. And that creates sort of this hard boundary between the two domains. Even the word balance, it implies this idea of equilibrium, that we feel like we need to have this equal balance, which none of us feel like we can ever do, right? So it becomes this zero-sum game. And when we define it this way, it feels impossible to achieve it because that scale is never going to look equal for any of us. And so I think that sets up some really unrealistic expectations. Um, And then we feel stressed out when we're not achieving the balance because we feel like we're not doing something right. Um, And that's led many like Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook to say there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's work, there's life, and there's no balance. Uh, So this idea that this is all really a myth. So uh, practitioners have come along and they've proposed other terms, right? Because language does matter. So they're like, maybe we've been using the wrong terminology if it evokes these types of images. And so um, Ariana Huffington has proposed in her Thrive Global, uh, she's proposed work-life integration and even maybe better more recently, they've said, no, it should actually be life-work integration, the focus on life. Um, So Adam Grant, who's an organizational psychologist, has said, quote, for several generations, we've organized our lives around work, where we make our homes, when we see our families, what we can squeeze in during our downtime. It might be time to start planning our work around our lives. And so that becomes kind of the idea with changing, changing up this terminology and focusing more on life work. (laughs) So the problem though, is sort of depicted in the cartoon, right? This idea of that, that fourth picture, it's the dream. And it's like, no, that's not the dream I was talking about. Right. So the problem is that during the pandemic, we've been sort of squeezed into extreme integration. Um, And so the problem with integration is that we get seduced into this bottomless pit of work Right. And we have all of our electronic devices that are making it very difficult for us to separate work from what we're doing at home. And so I think with the pandemic, that just became even more pronounced. And so even though this idea of integration sounds good, I think that all too often work wins and comes at the expense of these, you know, our personal health and our family and whatnot, and all these other domains or areas of life. So Regardless of what we're calling this balance, integration, uh, all these terms that have been um, used, it's clear that we're we're just we're struggling with this. And as the landscape of work is changing dramatically, we need to kind of focus on what 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 we mean here. So let's look at what employees actually say. So in this study, they said to employees, well, how do you define this? And I think that this is um, insightful. So adequate time for involvement in multiple roles, right? That's what balance looks like to me is having the time to be a really good parent and a really good employee. Um, Feeling like I'm doing a good job in those roles. Um, Feeling high levels of satisfaction and feeling positive affect, positive emotions. And feeling like I can be present and engaged when I'm in a particular role. So that's what employees came up with in their own words. I actually did a study um, and it wasn't really intended to be this, but just prior to the pandemic, we decided to remove the word balance altogether um, because it is kind of this term that, you know, you think of this scale and it conjures those images. So we said instead, just tell us what, what's going on when you're at your best at work and your personal life. And we did the same thing with what's happening 
when, you know, when you're at your worst, but focusing just sort of on when people are at their best, what, what's happening. And then we coded those responses and we came up with different themes. And then obviously we were thrust into the pandemic and then we thought, well, it'd be interesting to get this, to see if the pandemic has changed anything. And what we found is that the pandemic hadn't changed these themes. These themes remain consistent. People know what they want. They know what they want. And so we're at our best when we're able to um, manage our time and our various roles. We can plan and prepare and feel organized. Um, We're at our best when we can focus and be fully present in, in one domain. So that's what boundary management is getting at. Okay, so I can focus my my time. Um, when I feel like a sense of accomplishment, this sounds very similar, right? That sense of accomplishment is really important. Um, when my relationships are going well with coworkers, with managers, with, um, spouse, partner, children. Um, and then when people report, you know, good, good health, um, they're at their best when they're well-rested, that they have more energy, that they're, when they're sleeping better, um, when they're alert, enthusiastic, when they're eating well, all of those types of things. Um, So again, very consistent findings, um, regardless of we're in a global pandemic or not, we seem to know when we're at our best. And so the question becomes, how do we help people achieve those things? How do we help people um, thrive and be at their best? So we know that organizations, and I think many times well-intentioned people are creating initiatives and interventions in their organizations, um, trying to expand different options that workers have available to them. Um, so oftentimes, you know, obviously right now it's looked a lot like remote work, which has given a lot more flexibility, um, sometimes part-time work or trying to create a family-friendly culture. Um, but what we know is that sadly, these don't often work in the way that we expect. Um, so people that go with part-time work can sometimes end up actually working more than part-time hours. It often can derail careers because then they're not advancing at the same level as what they would have. We know there's flexibility stigma, right? There's stigma for taking um, advantage of these policies. Um, And this can apply to both men and women. Um, We know there's stereotypes that when people are leaving early for the day, um, there's a perception that, well, women must be leaving because of their kids and a man must be leaving to go see a client, for example. Um, so we have we have this stigma. We have evidence that uh, people aren't advancing. So the question then becomes, you know, what do we do about this? And this is just another example, um, a, a research example. So this these particular researchers went to a global consulting firm. Ninety percent of the partners were men. And they wanted to figure out the problem of why women were quitting. So they did these in-depth interviews who, and these were, you know, high-performing employees that worked 65 plus hours a week. And the researchers said that they, they came back and they said, we've kind of come up with a much larger problem. It's not that you don't have work-life initiatives. Um, They had introduced these and they were trying to be family friendly. It was something much larger and more overarching which is that um, the the long hours that were sort of expected and baked within that culture were taking a toll on men and women. So it's that culture of overwork is sort of their their global pastime, as it says here. Um, Work fatigue always leads to being less effective and less efficient. And what was fairly remarkable about this study, the the hyperlink has the the, um, New York Times article about this, is that the organization rejected these researchers' conclusions. Um, They said, oh, no, we we actually hired you to just study work-life initiatives. 
Um, and it's like, well, we're, we're telling you what the problem is. And they, they really weren't interested in, in hearing about that. Um, so I see, I'm Laura, gonna just, yeah, I? Yeah, cause I see, I have somebody in the chat and I want to just uh, pause here and kind of open it up. So Erica, go ahead. Yeah, just to comment on this, I, I just want to take it one step further from my own understanding. So is it safe to assume based on what you've shared that because the pressures of society on women around family, right, coming first, is that sort of what this potentially was trending towards or trying to show that your 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 men in the company can be overworked and still be, you know, home or can still allow the family to to run or function with, whereas women sometimes have to choose. Yeah, absolutely. I think typically women, you know, the, the expectation is more that women are going to step back. Right. And there's a wide variety of reasons why that might be the case, including that women tend to have less to lose from leaving the workplace compared to men. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of this is kind of cultural expectations. But I think what men are saying is like, well, I want to, especially I think during the pandemic, like I want to be more involved. I want to take on these more caregiving types of roles that maybe have been associated. Mm-hmm. Um, with women. And, um, you know, they're, they're too concerned with how will I be perceived if I'm going to, to, to be the employee that's going to take advantage of some of these, like, what will that be perceived mm-hmm. as? So it's, it's hurting everyone, right? These expectations that we're carrying. Understood. Does that address your question? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm just opening. Oh, Ben. Yes. I like work-life blend. Yes. I've heard um, work-life work-life rhythm. Um, we, and before we actually, my, re, my, uh, collaborator and I were going back and forth about, um, you know, what should we really call this? This is like, you know, language does matter. And we were like driving ourselves crazy. And then finally we were like, let's just ask people when they're at their best. <laughs> like we just, we just kept like stalling out. Cause it was like, every term was like, we could think of problems associated with it. So yes, work-life blend. That's a very interesting one. Um, um, my uh, my dad is an HR guy. Always refers to it as work life harmony. Harmony, yes. Yeah. Harmony. Um, I I had a question slash observation, Oral. Um, you know, going back to your results of what people want, you don't you don't have to flip back, but um, mm-hmm. two things kind of jumped out at me. One was the whole idea of boundary management. What's so interesting is. Um, I just wrapped up a study interviewing 40 leaders who have a leadership role, both at work and in a community organization, volunteer uh, types of organizations. And so we explored this whole idea of boundary between work, their volunteer role, and then also family life, home life. And it's so interesting. Some people just had very, um, very rigid boundaries both time boundaries, psychological boundaries. They had um, rituals that would help them transition boundaries. And a whole bunch of other people were just like, threw up their hands in the air, like, screw it. I can't do it. There is no boundary. And I just, I just jump from one thing to the next. And it's just easier than trying to create them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be talking about that in a minute. Ah, okay. A perfect segue because there, there, there's individual differences with this, right? So there are some people that, and you're, I'll show you. There's, there's a scale that you can take if you're interested to see if you're more of a segmenter or an integrator. Oh, how interesting! Yeah, wow, that's so, so cool. I can't um, wait to. to get I to think that. the people that were segmenters that were thrust into COVID. 
we're kind of like, oh my God, this is like, what is this? Like I keep these things separate. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, well, no, you're going to have to like, and integrators maybe could have, you know, kind of, could kind of go with that flow maybe a little bit easier because that's been their life. Um, So yeah, I think there's definitely um, individual differences with that. The other thing that I I noticed um, is those outcomes that you got to me sound a lot like self-determination theory mm-hmm. outcomes right so that the that's, whole how idea we that, mapped, that's how we did it with our paper yes. oh interesting i didn't even read the that. no i didn't even read the paper yet and i will um <laughs> but right so you know self-determination theory saying that we're motivated when we experience um autonomy uh, some control over what we do and how we do it competence and um in a sense of relatedness or connectedness to other people yeah and i can take all five of those outcomes and Right. I mean, that's, it's just an expansion of those three into five. Yeah. That's exactly what we were like. It maps so nicely. (laughs) I mean, people, uh, autonomy was something that people mentioned, um, but it wasn't like one of the more dominant ones. There were more responses, um, but there were, there were definitely comments about autonomy and a sense of control, but they just didn't make the cut as much as, as some of these other themes that were coming out, but yeah. certainly the sense of accomplishment is, you know, feeling effective is that's competence. And certainly our relationships are, are feeding into that sense of connection um, with other people. So yes, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up no, on that. It was good. And just to me, the time management is, I would think is a form of um, autonomy, you know, yeah, because, that's interesting. It, because it has to do with work-life balance. I mean, really, Really, what does it come down to? I mean, time management is such a huge part of that. Yeah. Can I manage my time? So I don't know. So I'll, yeah. I'll let you keep going, but it's Very just fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, that was the perfect time to actually pause. So Erica, your question came in at a great time here. Let's see. Um, because kind of moving ahead, let's talk about new opportunities in the COVID era. So we were talking about this flexibility stigma and this culture of overwork. Um, being major problems. And so COVID has just completely changed how and where and when work is done. And we had to adjust to this in the the time, you know, a few weeks, and here we are still. Um, And as we're thinking about going back and all of this, um, there's a lot of norms that have changed, right, about, uh, you know, expectations for FaceTime and expectations for people's schedules. And, And that's changed for everybody across the board, just not working women, for example. And so while it's been, you know, overwhelming and challenging, I think it is an opportunity to kind of rethink um, our business models and certainly our culture. And so that's kind of the the silver lining that I hope comes from all of this. So we know that remote work is likely here to stay, right? Um, There's there's a lot of talk about that right now that, um, you know, 60% of people in a Gallup poll say that they like to continue working remotely after restrictions have been lifted as we kind of move into this kind of in between phase. Um, so work will probably never be the same and we probably won't go back to, to what it looked like in many workplaces, not all, but in many. Um, so I think it's, you know, I have on here the, the working remote COVID-19 principles. This was something I saw on social media fairly early on in the pandemic. And I thought it was really clever that someone had come up with these types of principles. It was from the Canadian government, actually, I tracked down from wildlife services. Someone there had put these principles together to, you know, really emphasize and sort of normalize that this is not really a typical working from home experience of what we've all been through. And I think that that's, you know, an important distinction. 
But I don't think that work work is the enemy. In fact, I think a lot of people during the pandemic were like, I just want to go back to what work did look like, at least some aspects of it. Um, but because work does a lot for us and not just financial means, but it's a way to structure our day, right? And a way to learn new skills and have novel social interaction with new people and identity and purpose and meaning and all of those things. So how do we capitalize on this to create a healthier work experience? And so, as I mentioned, I thought we could talk about um, some strategies, individual, team level, and organizational. So that's where I think we should head. So just speaking kind of individually, and that here, here we are with those boundaries, right, uh, between work and home. So I think we need to be very intentional um, in setting these boundaries. And we could talk about, as Mike was mentioning, kind of physical boundaries, psychological boundaries. So, you know, just being able to have an office with a door on it, right, and be able to close that door as a physical boundary that suggests, okay, this is where I work. And when I open this door and close this door, then it separates those different spheres. I think people without a door were struggling more with this. But we also could talk about mental boundaries, Okay, to be able to detach from work. And that allows you to recover and ideally feel refreshed for your next day. And for many of us, we had our daily commute that, that served this purpose as a mental boundary. And when we no longer had that and had sort of the rituals uh, that we had when we were commuting, like, you know, I listen to a podcast and then I go in and I say hello and I get a cup of coffee and I sit down. It's those are all cues and signals for your brain about what's what's happening. Oh, this means we're starting, right? So work has become a lot more scattered. Leisure time um, becomes less pure, right? Um, and so the idea would be to kind of you know on days where you are working from home, trying to come up with an alternative commute strategy. So you can mentally separate the day. And so for some people that could look like going and taking a walk when hopefully our weather is starting to improve, you know, um, getting actually getting dressed, right? <laughs> actually going through those rituals, closing the door if you're able to do that. So you get those signals and cues to your brain that work is about to start, right? You're entering a, a different domain. Um, and so that that scale that I was talking about, I have it linked here and I can share these with, with Mike if you're curious about it. But um, that scale was developed to kind of sh showcase that there are people that have preferences towards integration that can kind of easily switch back and forth between work and um, other personal life domains. And there are segmenters that very much prefer to keep these separated. And so, our, like I said, I think our segmenters had a more difficult time. I'm just opening the chat now. I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was something else. I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything from anyone. I'll keep, I'll keep an eye on it. Okay. Thank you. Know. Yeah. Um, so I think also, and you know, there's a lot of conversations around this, but protecting your personal domain from your electronic leashes, <laughs> right. And knowing when to turn them off. And I think I struggle with this. I think this is a struggle for, for many of us, but there has to be some signal that, that you've gotten through a reasonable day's work that you put your devices somewhere else. Right. Because otherwise, if you're, you're going to be, if you know that you're going to be, um, you know, looking for that work email, or you're going to be anticipating what was someone's reaction to the email that I sent. So putting re-engineering your environment. So they're out of your way. Um, so this, in this particular picture, it's like, put them in a drawer and close the drawer. It's like something like that. That's like, that's what we actually need. Cause we know these devices are hijacking our attention. 
right? So what can you do to re-engineer your environment to avoid that temptation? Is there a way you can put your charging station, you know, in a separate area that's, that's not in the space where you're, you know, in the kitchen making dinner, maybe. Um, so there's evidence that we spend on average an extra eight hours a week responding to emails after work. And those were pre-COVID numbers. So I have to imagine that during COVID that that number likely went up. And then, you know, we were talking about well-being variables. Like if you respond to emails, you know, when your kids are in bed later at night, how does that impact your sleep quality? Right. And so for some people, uh, my husband's a night owl, so he has no problem working late at night. It's no big deal. It doesn't affect his sleep. If I do that, I will be, I will be up most of the night. <laughs> so it's, it's knowing yourself and knowing, um, you know, how, how things work for you and, and coming up with those strategies. Um, I think, you know, if you are lucky enough to have the opportunity to be able to craft a little bit of your work schedule and have some of that, some of that autonomy that Mike was talking about, if you have options for working from home, um, I think it's trying to find your sweet spot. Um, research indicates that that's usually a couple of days a week. So if you have an option to craft your schedule, what they found in this particular study with technology workers is that really above and beyond that 15 hours of work, it didn't have higher levels of job satisfaction. So it was increasing until about 15 hours a week. And then it sort of plateaued as far as your level of job satisfaction. But again, what's optimal for me may not be optimal for you. And I think this depends on, you know, individual differences. I think your typical extrovert probably struggles a little bit more with working from home, um, you know, in an intense, you know, on a regular basis. Um, certainly the nature of your job and how interdependent you are with others, I think, can impact this as well. So, but just trying to figure out what that looks like for you. Um, and then I think just, being patient with yourself while you're doing this. So not being too hard on yourself as you're trying to figure this out. So um, we know that there's some connection now between um, self-compassion, which has these three sort of main elements to it and um, work-life balance. So mindfulness is just being present in the moment with non-judgmental attention and awareness. So just noticing and accepting um, treating yourself in the way that you would treat a friend. So you wouldn't ever say to a friend, you dropped the ball on everything today. I can't believe you. Right. Um, so why, why do we say that to ourselves? Why is that all of a sudden acceptable to say to ourselves? And then the last component is connectedness. And I think ideally with COVID that we can capitalize on the fact that we all went through this together and that probably none of us lived up to our ideal performance as a parent, as a spouse, as an employee, and that failure is part of what makes us human. And it reminds us of our common humanity. So I think those are all good things to, to keep in mind. As far as um, the team level, I think really COVID has opened our eyes to supporting people, um, pr providing that emotional support. Um, I think, you know, we all want to feel cared for and we want to feel, you know, comfortable in expressing if something's happening, like I'm struggling so much with X, Y, and Z. Um, we got a glimpse of people at home living their real authentic lives, right? And kids running in the background and screaming and pets and all of that. Right. And so we know that people leave, live complex lives and maybe that helped us see our colleagues sort of in a different light. But I really think it's important that people are trained on how to provide emotional support. And we shouldn't assume that people feel comfortable and know exactly how to do that. 
So some guidance on like, what do those parameters look like? Um, obviously we don't want to, you know, assume that nobody needs to be a therapist, right? But there, I think there are some small things that people can do to show care and concern that go a long way. Even something like borrowing from us professors and, and a manager that holds office hours and I can just pop in for an unscheduled call, um, I think is, is helpful and signals like I'm open, I'm willing, I'm here to listen. And one of the articles I really liked on this was in the Harvard Business Review. And this talked about supportive leaders and how they approach emotional conversations. And I thought it had a lot of good tips for people that might be wondering, like, what does this look like? Um, so validation, I can see why this is exhausting. I use this yesterday with my chairperson who is just depleted at this point of the semester and leading through COVID after two years. Um, seek to understand. Tell me more about that. Um, offer support. How might I best support you right now? Invite perspective instead of prescribing a solution. This is one that I struggle with because I want to be a problem solver and I want to help people and I want to solve their problems. Um, but that is not often what people need to hear. Um, so would it be helpful to hear what helped me in a similar situation? Sometimes people don't need that. That's not helpful. So ask. Um, and then acknowledge and appreciate. I see that this is really hard. I'm with you. Thank you for trusting me with this information. So I think um, a little bit of uh, training on that when people maybe, you know, we shouldn't assume that people know how to have those conversations. So I think that that's a real opportunity to, to work with people um, and share the, those types of information. Um, and then, you know, more team strategies here. Again, this was focused more with thinking about remote work in mind, that we're not having those same water cool conversations. So like there, there was, as we shifted into COVID, I think there was a lot of ambiguity and confusion about like, well, what are the priorities? What are the expectations now that we're working in a different way? What do deadlines look like? Um, and so when you go into an office, you know, people had maybe a better expectation of these things because they saw each other and can talk about them. And then everything kind of shifted. And so it's kind of hard to decipher when you don't see people on a regular basis. So you're not randomly sort of running into someone and then, oh yeah, by the way. Um, so I think it's important to just be open about trying to uncover what are some resolutions um, with this new way of working. And then uh, this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. So de minimizing demands on our attention to allow for focus time. Um, so this idea of trying to figure out within your schedule, like blocking off certain chunks of time. So maybe morning, you're, you know, if you're like a morning person like me, I try to not do, I had try to have my focus time during the morning. Later in the afternoon is not, not great for me. So that does not work for my focus time. Um, and then obviously still the, the importance of face-to-face -face interactions. And obviously people are at different phases of, of reopening and going back to work and seeing people face-to-face, -face. but obviously there's a richness, um, with that, with those face-to-face -face interactions that really is irreplaceable. Um, so trying to coordinate so that we still have, and again, it goes back to self-determination theory that we talked about kind of those connections, right. And, it's, it's just harder to form those connections. I think of all the, the new people that started jobs during COVID, right? And it's like, how do you like start as a new employee when everything's remote? I just have to believe that that's incredibly challenging. 
Um, and then I think modeling is so important. So modeling is a, a, a big thing that we talk about in psychology. So modeling healthy work habits for your team. So effective role modeling can look like things like talking about your personal life at work, now, obviously within limits, right? But um, being able to say like, oh, I'm leaving at a certain time because I'm going to go see my kids play their, their sport, right? It, it's saying like, that's a signal, right? Like, this is what's important to me. Um, leaving work at a reasonable time to, to have a personal pursuit. So I go to an exercise class during my lunch, um, right? That's signaling that there are things outside of work that are valuable, like taking care of your health. Um, going on vacation, encouraging people to go on vacations, encouraging people to take parental leave, um, avoid sending emails on the weekends. I haven't gone to the extent where I, I, I've heard some people, um, you know, have different strategies for they'll, they'll draft the email, but they won't send it or the program will automatically send it, but at a later date and time, like on Monday morning. Um, but I think it's at least important to communicate that you don't expect a response during non-working hours, right? To make that very clear to your team that if, if you receive an email, that doesn't mean I expect you to respond to it. Um, and so when you start to do this, you start to signal to others that it's okay um, for others to do so. So I'm big on the modeling. And that really gets at walk the walk, right? So this was um, a quote from an employee in a re one of the research studies that I talked about earlier. And I think that this gets at the larger organizational culture and it gave me pause. So this idea that it's hard to regard these work-life discussions as anything more than lip service when the trend within the successful leaders is one rampant with high divorce rates, excessive work hours, and little to no work-life balance. This is a firm that culturally says all the right things, but really we quietly applaud and promote the activities that denigrate work-life balance and promote the individuals who are willing to lay it all on the line, right? And so this, this is speaking to that, I, that culture of overwork that we were talking about. And so even though we try to address it with band-aids and we say, oh, but look at all these things and these policies and initiatives that we have. What's the underlying message that people really hear? And that is like, if you want to be a star in this company, if you want to be promoted, you're going to have to work these, you know, you're going to really have to work these hours and make this money and all of that. Um, so I, again, I don't think those initiatives are often working the way we hope. There's a lot to unpack there, but really looking at what does the organization reward um, is it, you know, oh, wow, you came in over the weekend and, and you were working well into the middle of the night? Is, is that what gets rewarded? So from there, I think um, speaking at sort of an organizational level, kind of the focus is on culture. So we've talked about policies and initiatives that often don't work the way we would hope. But I think that while those form of policies may be helpful with recruitment, um, even more important is a culture of informal support for life outside of work. So that is, to, in my mind, that's the main message, the main, the main takeaway message here. We don't want to ignore the importance of small scale, subtle, yet very crucial efforts like day-to-day -day support from our supervisors and our coworkers. And that's just something we see very consistently in the literature. So regardless of what the actual policy looks like, the best driver of an employee's work-life balance seems to be, what does your manager do? What do your coworkers do as far as balancing their own work-life demands? 
Um, my husband is a really good example of this. He's an attorney and law firms are not known to be super progressive. We'll just say that. Um, and when I, we had our, for our, our kids, um, his boss who happened to be female, um, really pushed for him to be able to take, um, parental leave in the form of one day off a week. So he could be home while I was at work, uh, teaching on that day. And there wasn't really a, a policy around this. It wasn't really heard of that a, a male associate would, would be doing something like this. And she's just like, this is what you're going to do. And she took a lot of flack for it, but she was extremely supportive. So even without that um, policy in place, having sort of that champion that says, this is important, this is what you should do. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism in that. Um, and that means a lot to people. Um, so I think here we are, right? Before COVID, most of us were not satisfied with combining work and non-work because work often wins, um, sadly. These work-life initiatives don't work the way we expect. So during COVID, remote work became the new norm, and we have all now lived through the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of that. So how do we maximize the good and minimize the bad and the ugly as we move forward. What do we do about that flexibility stigma, the havoc that it's wreaked in our personal lives um, over you know, many, many years and that culture of overwork? Um, again, I think, again, kind of trying to look at the silver lining here, many of you are probably familiar with post-traumatic stress, but psychologists also study post-traumatic growth, which is this kind of transformation that it can occur following a trauma. And I think COVID is our collective trauma because the world is not the world that we, we all knew. So with post-traumatic growth, people can develop a, a new understanding of themselves and how they want to live, uh, the world they want to live in, how we relate to other people, what kind of future we want. Um, and so I think this is giving us a roadmap of, of how, to, how we want to live our lives, which I think is different than, than what we would have said prior to COVID. So with individuals, I think that that starts with ourselves. And again, some of those tips were re-engineering your environment as best you can to set those physical and mental boundaries, um, trying to limit, set limits on your work time and selecting schedules that, that work best for you as you re-enter offices, being kind to ourselves as we're navigating these unchartered waters. And with teams, I think it's checking in with each other and it's showing up for each other and being very open about our work and our non-work lives, testing out new ways of connecting and trying to protect that focus time for each other, coordinating schedules um, to allow some of those personal connections to, to grow and flourish and model those healthy habits to signal to others that this is okay. This is what you should be doing. And then I think, again, organizationally, I think this is the hardest, right? But it's taking stock of what our culture looks like, what is actually getting rewarded, um, and looking for those small wins, that day-to-day -day support, building that culture of support. And if it's hard to achieve at an organizational level, knowing that you as the manager or the leader can at least show that for, for your team um, within your group. Um, so that is all I have for you. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. There we go. Um, so I'm happy to take any additional questions that you may have. Hi, Austin. I'm Laurel. Nice to meet you. Hi, Laurel. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you. And also, thank you for the presentation. It was really insightful.
Yes, absolutely. Austin or Erica, any any questions? Um, not really any questions. I think it, it's all fascinating, you know, information. And I always love to hear from like the academia side of things, right? Because I obviously, we actually just got um, our, they just announced our, our new normal for uh, CareStream this week. So it's interesting timing. And I, I have very strong feelings about the policy that they're rolling out and, you know, talking about living the values, right? So one of our values is a growth mindset and they're not living that value in this case, um, unfortunately, but yeah, it's all very, very relevant and interesting to me. So thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to um, a consultant and she was saying like, I really hope that what companies are learning from this is we cannot go back to what it was because if we just go back to what it was, we're going to lose people. And then, you know, this whole issue with, um, you know, recruitment and retention and staffing and being such a disaster. So it's just like, what are people doing? Like, they just assume we can just like pivot back. And it's like, it's just very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Not that I know that that's what's going on, but I'm just taking a guess. <laughs> And especially when you have a company with an, a very aging workforce, <laughs> right? With concerns around secession planning. Yeah, it's all going to come to a head. But yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, um, Laura, quick question. Did you come across like the hybrid model of like work from home and also in the office when doing like your uh, researching? Yeah, I mean, I think researchers before COVID were really looking at you know, people that were, you know, working at home and that I'm not sure where exactly you jumped in, but we're, I was talking about a study that looked at telecommuting intensity. So work from home intensity, like how, how many hours are you spending doing that? Right. And I guess that is in some ways that sort of the hybrid approach when people can pick, right. Like what they want to do. And what, what that study found was like 15 hours a week was like the ideal amount of time to be working from home. So it's kind of interesting now that like, it feels, at least to me, it sort of feels like hybrid is going to become the new norm. Right. And so that sort of fits with that research. Although I think that there's still a lot of, um, you know, so they didn't call it hybrid right then when they were studying, I think that's like a new thing for all of us to kind of think about, um, so I think that I think that is the wave of the future, but I think it's also really hard to kind of figure that out. And I don't think the research has caught up with exactly what that should look like. I think for right now, I think that the best thing that organizations can do is just say we're experimenting. Like we're right. trying to follow what our employees are saying and we're gonna try this and we're gonna experiment and then we're gonna evaluate and see like, did it accomplish what I thought? Um, so I think just kind of being open-minded right now that this is the time to kind of play around with this and see what it looks like. But it seemed like from earlier reports, like that increasing your intensity of working from home didn't get you very far beyond those few days. Um, but then there's like, you know, all those questions about like, okay, if we are hybrid, like, are we trying to coordinate like what days people are coming in and like, do we require like certain people to be here on the same days? And it's just, it's hard. I I don't think that the research offers a ton of insight on that just yet, just because it is a pretty new phenomenon. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and as you were talking, I just, something just popped into my mind because when I think about 
the remote work and the ripple effect that he has created within teams and organizations, um, something that is at the bottom of it is also is trust. Trust for um, one another, for the team, you know? So uh, like, a classic, like a classic example would be, hey, I'm working from home. Well, are you sure you're working from home? What are yes. you doing when you're working from home? You know, what is the proof to show me that you're working from home? Yeah. Okay, I did all this report, but did you do it all the time working from home? Or you did yeah. it for an hour, you know? So um, that, that's something that is like, uh, I'm starting to see as something that has been a problem within like teams, like having trust for your fellow team and just, you know, giving them that space to, I guess, do the work from home if they were saying you want to let them work from home. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we saw evidence before the pandemic. That's why a lot of uh, executives said they didn't want remote work because of those fears. Like, are you really going to be working? But it's like, but what, what are you evaluating, right? Are you evaluating how many hours you spend at your computer each day? Or are you evaluating what people get done? So to me, it's all about results. And as long as the results are being accomplished, does it really matter when and where? I mean, uh, you know, again, it depends on the, the nature of the job. Right. Um, but I, I'm frustrated by that lack of trust because I think when you signal like, I don't really know what you're doing. I, I don't really believe that you're doing a good job. Right. I think that erodes so much, right? And trust is something that it's slow to build, but it, as soon as it's gone, it's, it's like yeah. takes a very long time to get it back. Exactly. And so I think that, whole message of, you know, we don't really trust you to get your job done, even though we've trusted you the last two years to work through all of this. And now all of a sudden we don't trust you anymore. It's just, I don't like how that, that feels. I also, I'm not sure if this is fitting for this conversation or not, but I, I find that we're, we're kind of blending, um, people not wanting to have difficult conversations around performance, right? And putting, fitting people into a box to try to control that rather than just addressing the issue that, that is really what's at play, right? The, the folks that aren't getting work done at home weren't really getting much work done at work. I mean, yeah. that, that's a fact, right? Yes, it's changed our lives. And I'm sure people have shifted in, in, in that way, but most likely your performance problems were a performance problem before. <laughs> yeah. So. I totally agree. And I think that that all like, to me, that speaks to like the importance of like, have you gone through and provided like proper feedback? Like, do you know how to give feedback? And a lot of people just prefer to avoid those conversations and kind of, you know, put it off in the corner rather than engage in, you know, the more difficult having, trying to deliver that constructive feedback and see if there's results, like did the performance improve? Um, so yeah, I, I think that, if I had to guess, I would totally agree with you that performance problems that are occurring now were, were, are not likely to be new. Quick question, Lauren. How, how do you build, um, um, so we, you know, there's all types of intelligence, you know, um, the IQ, EQ, PQ, for instance. How do you build EQ, uh, emotional intelligence, you know, while trying to achieve uh, work-life balance, working from home, and, you know, maybe the hybrid model. Um, you see it's even difficult now working in office trying to deal. Not everyone, not all teammates have good emotional intelligence or leaders, for example, to be able to, you know, work effectively with your team. Some of the example you, you pointed out is being a supportive leader, being there for your um, team and trying to listen and, or when you're, trying to engage them like virtually sometimes 
there's a barrier between getting that connection with yeah. your team and trying to establish that, especially if you're in a new team and trying to, you know, gain their trust and grow with them. How do you navigate that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. I, I think that for people that are maybe lower on emotional intelligence, that's why that training of like, here's how you would have a conversation when someone is having a hard time, like, cause they don't necessarily understand those emotions and other people. And I've, and I think you're right. Like that just becomes even more difficult in a remote kind of environment. So I think it, I think that it's really important that organizations say, this is a priority, like how we treat each other um, is a priority and being able to kind of help people um, to try to build those skills. Cause I do think that that's, there's definitely opportunity for many of us to grow in how we, you know, try to detect like, oh, you look like you're, you know, you look like you're a little down today. Is everything okay? Like, I just want you to know I'm here for you. It's, it's not, it's, you know, but, but people don't necessarily know how to do that. And so I think a, a little bit of modeling and training um, could go a long way for, for those types of things. But um, I think it is more challenging with remote for sure. So what I hear you saying is it's not just okay for organizations to just throw out uh, uh, individuals to just say, okay, work from home or you know, remote. You have to have a structure around it, have training, like you said. You know. Yeah, I th- think being very deliberate and intentional right. about what what is it that we want, what's the way that we want people to feel, and then what are the processes that we would need to follow, and right. you know, just kind of challenging some of those assumptions that people know how to give support to others. I don't think that's the case. I don't think (laughs) they know that. And I think it's something that, you know, we could teach people about um, that, you know, wouldn't be, you know, incredibly resource intensive. Um, But just to say like, Hey, let's, let's read this article about how to give support in a difficult time. And like, let's talk about, and let's brainstorm and like practice a little bit about what that could look like for our team. And you're going to see that I'm going to start to do this with, with my team. And, and the reason is, is because I care about, about all of you, you know? Um, So yeah, I'd love to see something like that come from this. Insightful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Laurel, wow, thanks so much. Um, you know, th- this, is, uh, this is just fascinating, taking a step back from what we've all experienced for the last two years in, in one way or another, and just kind of seeing what's going on. And the few things that stuck out to me is, number one, uh, we're not alone. And I think we would all know that and say that, but it really can feel lonely sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But just seeing that it's such a common experience and the other thing that I took away here is, um, well, the exact solution may not present itself. We don't need to overcomplicate this. The things that are role modeled by senior management and the practices that are rewarded through the systems, that's what people are going to do. Um, I remember I was taken back to uh, when I worked for a bank, a regional bank in the Midwest about 20 years ago. They had a policy that you took all of your vacation time, like there was no carryover and you're required to take it. And at least one week had to be a continuous week. You you were out Monday through Friday. Like everybody was required to do that. Now it was also a good financial control because they would audit you during that week that you were off. Right. So, I mean, from, you know, the bank's security standpoint, it was good, but people really appreciated that because there was no, 
um, you know, it didn't matter if you were the president or the, you know, the part-time teller like me, you took your week. And so nobody would look at you sideways because everybody did it and it was required. And it was at the time I didn't realize how smart. Yeah. And probably unique, unique. Yeah, 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 exactly. So awesome. Well, Laurel, thanks again for, for hanging out with us and sharing your, your research and your insight and and your thoughts. So helpful. Can I send that PowerPoint to you? And then, you know, it, it ha- I have a bunch of hyperlinks in there. So Absolutely. If there any, yeah. any articles you're interested in. That would be awesome. I really appreciate that. So nice to meet you, Erica and Austin and tell Ben, thanks. <laughs> and always good to see you, Mike. Thanks. Same to you. All right. We'll be in touch. And thanks okay. everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Me First Academy Live Today's guest was Dr. Laurel McNall, and Laurel brought us some wonderful insight about the latest on work-life balance. In the show notes, we will have a link to some of the resources that Laurel mentioned, including uh, online assessment about uh, how you handle boundary work, and also some links to some of the other research that she mentioned. So I am so glad that we were able to have Laurel here today, and I wish you all the best. Remember, Leadership is hard work. You got to do the hard work, but you don't need to do it alone. So until next time, keep on leading.